on renovations. Everybody say renovations. So the first week we talked about how important a solid foundation is. Just as a reminder, let me show you a clip from that. Motivated by our past, that's Alicia the wrong, decided that's to accomplish her clip. The Kings converted their carport. In it's called Foundations. There you go. So the idea is that you need to make sure that whatever you're standing on is going to hold up. <clears throat> How many times have you found yourself knocked off your feet before? Some have been getting knocked off their feet with corona. Some have been getting knocked off their feet with coronavirus. <clears throat> and you, you just have to understand that God wants us on a sure foundation. Everybody say a sure foundation. You know, oftentimes when we travel, I was in other countries, and I, I would be in, uh, I believe it was in Belize, and there was like a rope bridge. And you, you start to walk across it, and then you're thinking, well, surely, you know, they've got this rope fixed up right because they've got tourists out here. Not necessarily so. You saw what happened when all those people started across that bridge and it collapsed underneath them. I'm glad to know that we have a sure foundation. So Jesus talked to us about that in Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 4, it says that rock was Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3 and 11, Paul writes, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that, than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we understand that Jesus is our solid foundation. Now, last week, we talked about preventive maintenance. It's not enough just to build a house. You also have to maintain it. How many of you have ever had to have something fixed in your home? Wave your hand if you've ever had to have something fixed in your home. If you live there long enough, something is going to go bad. So you can't just build the house, and kick back and relax and say, well, I've done what I need to do. I'm not ever going to have to worry about it. Things go wrong, and it's the same way in our life. There's a family called the King family and found out that their house started out okay, but things went desperately wrong. 
Motivated by her past, Alicia decided to accomplish her dream. The Kings converted their carport into an extra room and the step-by-step -step daycare was born. The name of our daycare is Step-by-Step. -step. We developed this daycare, we built this daycare one step at a time. We not only give childcare, we make sure they have clothes when they need it, provide transportation if it's needed, we feed extra dinners at night if we need to. We have situations where sometimes a kid may have to stay a little longer, come a little earlier. We don't mind doing that to help people out. I would take my grandson and keep him until 10, 10.30 at night while I work for nothing. Because the Kings work so hard at giving back to their community, and they often give their services free of charge, it's taken a toll on the home and daycare. It's gotten to the point where this family is living below the poverty level, leaving them without a budget for their own food, gas, or clothes. But the family definitely wasn't prepared for what would happen next. There's mold all over the house and no ventilation system, which makes things dangerous for their daughter, Layla, who suffers from severe asthma and needs constant medical attention. We were hospitalized in October. At this current moment, she has about 56% capacity of her lungs being used. We want her environment to be healthy as parents. It's our job to provide a healthy environment for all of our kids, not just her. We have 15 children we're responsible for. The longer we're here, the longer the mold's growing, it's, it's turning into a dangerous situation. It's like a ticking bomb, actually. jumping and hollering and screaming. It's just one of those moments where you gotta say, break free and be a kid, <laughs> you know? In our old house, our home had mold growing underneath it. It was becoming an environment that was very unhealthy for us. But with the new house, the problems were gone. And it wasn't just for us. This house was for everybody who's ever been connected to us. Because if they can see what can be done for us, Anything in their lives can happen to you. The Bible said, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And so the King family discovered what we discover is that oftentimes we start out with our house right here, with our lives committed to God intact, but things happen that begin to pull us apart, break us down. We talked about bitterness, unforgiveness that can creep in and begin to destroy the home that God has made for us. Today, I want to, this will be the final uh, message in this series, and it's called World Changers. Would you say it with me? World Changers. I want you to understand that what changed their world, what changed the King's family's world was someone else, not themselves, but someone else 
help to change their world. In the 58th chapter of Isaiah, Isaiah is, the, the Lord speaks to Isaiah and tells him to shout against Israel about their sin because they, they, they were acting religious. They would come in and they were fasting and they were doing all this stuff and God's saying, look, man, this is just a show and I'm not having any of it. And he, so he starts talking to them about the fact that, you know, you're, you're coming and you're fasting and you're saying, how come God doesn't hear? Why doesn't he see? And he said, but you're, though you're going through these religious ceremonies, your heart's still not right. He said that you're doing all this fasting, but you're still treating your servants mean. You're not doing right with them. And so what he's trying to do is to get them to turn. Everybody say turn. You know, the thing is, is if you're going the wrong way, how do you get home? You have to turn at some point. You, you can't keep going the wrong way and expect to get home. You have to make a turn. And so he instructs them in Isaiah 58, 8 to 11. He tells them what will happen if they make this turn. He says, then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring." And then he gives them another word, and your people will rebuild. Everybody say rebuild. The ancient ruins. You will raise up and restore the old foundations of buildings that have been laid waste. You will be called repair of the breach, restore of streets with dwellings. You will change someone's world. I thought about what we've talked about over the last weeks. We've talked about having a solid foundation. We've talked about the need for having our house maintained. But then I thought about what about those that are around us? What about the people that have suffered loss that are around us? Sometimes if we're not careful, we're so focused on our loss that we're not extending a hand to help someone else, that we can be hurting so much with what we're going through that we forget that there are others that are going through things as well. And the quickest way to find our healing is to help someone else experience theirs. I thought about uh, years ago, there was a, a lady, her name was Sister Allen. She pastored a church. She, she, man, they were way out in the country and a, a gravel road called Gravel Hill. And it was, it was way out in the middle of nowhere. I couldn't tell you how to get there today if my life depended on it. I don't, I don't even remember how we got there. I just remember going out there as a young man, and she was an older lady, and she, she did this song called the Wash Woman Song. 
And she'd get up and she'd start acting like she was washing clothes. And I, I'm not going to try and sing the song. I can't even remember the words of the song. I just remember the story behind the song. That there was an, a, a lady that was on the poor side of town and she was out there washing her clothes and she saw this woman come riding by in a big Cadillac. And the woman in the big Cadillac looked out at her and she saw her heavy toil and she saw that big smile on her face and her singing and she drove away from there going, how can someone with so little look like they have so much? The woman that was doing the washing noticed the lady in the Cadillac as she drove by and there, her face was very solemn and there seemed to be no joy in her life. And the woman that was doing the washing looked up and said, how can someone with so much seem to have so little? Oh, I'm telling you that life is all about perspective. That happiness can't be bought. That joy cannot be attained through things. But there is someone that can bring it. People say, well, I don't know about happiness not being able to be bought. Give me a wad of cash and you'll make me happy for a while until your wad of cash ran out. I think about this. I'm not making this up. A friend of mine had a, uh, I believe it was a relative of his, won the lottery. This is a true story. Won the lottery. His wife was getting ready to leave him and he won a million dollars on the lottery and she fell in love with him all over again. True story, fell right back in love with him. He bought, he bought a house, he bought new cars and all that, and then all of a sudden he went through that million dollars. And guess what? She fell back out of love with him. She ended up leaving him. When they repossessed the house he bought, they went inside one of the closets and there was a pile of lottery tickets that had been scratched off because he was trying to find happiness and find love again. I leave for your consideration, he never had it. Do you understand that things can't do that, but there is a God that promises us that if we will turn to him, that he will turn to us. And one of the greatest things you're ever going to experience in your life is bringing someone else to God. It's like, it's, man, I can't explain to you what that feels like. How, and any of you that have ever led someone to the Lord know what I'm talking about. Someone that was despondent and depressed and, and down and out and, and, and felt like all hope was gone. And then all of a sudden, in one moment of time, a smile lights up a face where there'd been a frown. Joy fills a heart where there'd been desperation. All because someone caused them to come to God. They became a repairer of the breach. Everybody say, repair it. There's a, when he's giving this prophecy, Isaiah's giving this prophecy, and consequently the people will end up going into captivity and they will lose what they had, all that they had held on to and they thought was the important things they ended up losing, but they did not lose this word. Now look, Amos would later speak again in Amos 9 and 11, and listen to what he said. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David. I will repair its damaged walls from the ruins. I, re I will rebuild it and restore its former glory. People read that, but sometimes we don't get what he's talking about. 
That's Amos 9 and 11. Everybody say Amos. And then something unique happens in the book of Acts. Peter is instructed to go to Cornelius' house. And when he does, the unthinkable happens. A person that the religious world considered a dog, all of a sudden had the power of God fall on them, began to speak in other tongues, the Spirit of God gave them utterance, and they were saved. Everybody say they were saved. Well, they couldn't deny that they'd been saved because he just filled them with the Spirit. See, this is why God does this. It's because they believed that Gentiles couldn't be saved. They believed that Gentiles were dogs, and God's going to show you, I'm going to show you something about who saves people and who doesn't. And so Peter goes in, and while Peter's talking to them, and he starts to, before he even gets a chance to preach, doesn't it just ruin your day? When somebody just makes up their mind, they're going to give their life to God, and you don't even get a chance to preach? No, it makes me happy. <laughs> so, I, you know, De I, I, I've shared with you about Debbie going to gas stations, you know, in places, and several times I've come out, you know, and she's got some lady. I've been, you know, it, it doesn't take 10 minutes to fill the car up and go in and, and you know, and pay for it and you come out and she's got somebody in the parking lot bawling and giving their heart to God and I'm thinking man I preach for like 40 minutes before I ever get anybody to respond everybody say it's all about him and there's something powerful when God shows up and he begins to repair the breaches and so David or I mean here in Amos there's a word of prophecy about the house that David's tabernacle that's going to get rebuilt. The book of Acts, Peter has been leading people to, or, or leading Gentiles to Christ. Paul and Barnabas have been sharing the faith, and Silas have been sharing their faith with Gentiles, and they've been responding, and, and the religious world is about to have a fit over it because they're thinking these folks can't be saved. And then it all comes to a climax in Acts chapter 15, starting with verse 13. It said, when they had finished, James, this is the brother of Jesus, James stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. And as, as it is written afterward, I will return and restore the fallen house of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles, all those I have called to be mine, the Lord has spoken. Let me talk to you about David's house. David's in the Old Testament. Are you with me? Amen. Everybody say Old Testament. Now, what symbolized the presence of God in the Old Testament? The Ark of the Covenant. Everybody say it with me. The Ark of the Covenant. Do you have any idea where the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the Old Testament? It was kept concealed. The Ark of the Covenant was not just in the holy place, it was in the Holy of Holies. 
So you had to go, you didn't just go into, uh, 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 you, you didn't just go into the holy place. You had to go past that into the holy of holies, which no one was allowed to go in except the high priest. And he could only go in there one time a year to offer sacrifice. And if he got something wrong, he's dead. Everybody go, ooh. <laughs> now, wouldn't that mess with you? I mean, think about it, man. You're talking about the presence of a holy God. And then that, that rocks on for centuries like that until somebody named David showed up. And when David showed up, David seems to be a man born out of time. Because David understands something about worshiping God that none of his predecessors understood. And so when the Ark of the Covenant had been taken away and the, the Philistines had it and they had kept it and it had come back into Israel and it had set in a man's house, in Obadiah's house, and it sat there, you know, David started to go after it and somebody died and he didn't understand what was going on. And he finally gets it. And when he goes to invite the presence of God home, Everybody say, God, I want you to come home with me. See, some of us are content to leave him at church. Oh, no, no, I, I show up on Sunday, you know, and I, I, I visit with God, but I sure don't want him coming at my house, man. I mean, I got some stuff going on at the house. Well, it could be that's exactly why we need him at our house. How many of you got some stuff going on? There's not anybody in here that doesn't have some stuff going on. What are you talking about? I'm telling you that at some point in time in your life, stuff happens. Amen. Stuff starts to go on in your house and you can't handle it on your own. Amen. He never wanted you to handle it on your own. He wanted to be there for you. Amen. And so what the prophecy says is that there's going to come a time where I'm going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. I'm going to raise it back up. Do you understand that we lost something when we lost David? That as it started going through time, through the other kings, they, God always compared them to David. He said, you, and it wasn't that David wasn't a man without his fault and without his sin. It was that David understood something about the heart of God, and he understood about approaching God in a way that it seemed like no one else ever got. And so when he came back home when he was bringing the ark back home he set up a tent he said we're not going to conceal the presence of God anymore we're getting ready to reveal the presence of God and so as he brought it home and they began to rejoice and everybody saw what was going on they started getting excited the Bible said in that moment that David danced before the Lord with all his might well, don't anybody get excited in here. After all, we need to be dignified. Really? Do you understand that dignified is close to petrified? And that's a piece of wood that's been dead a long time. God is looking for someone that will love him regardless of who's sitting around regardless of who's next to you. Oh, I can't, I can't get excited today. I invited my friend to be here with me, you know. We can't, I'll never forget, man, my brother. <laughs> Paul used to get excited. He sounded like a freight train coming down a track. He'd, woo, woo, woo. One of the ladies invited one of her friends, and she was going, boy, I sure hope your brother doesn't, you know. 
And I was thinking to myself, the thing that we're trying to keep people from is exactly what they're looking for. They want something real. They want something that will transform them. They want something that will step into their life. The, the alcoholic isn't interested in some type of little, you know, program you've got going on. He wants the power of God. The addict wants the power of God. The heartbroken wants the power of God. A man that's lost and undone and can't find his way isn't looking for a pretty sermon or a pretty song. He wants the power power of God to set him free. I'm talking about world changers. David brought that ark back and he set it up and he, he commissioned people that they were to praise God. They, they played instruments and they worshiped God 24 hours a day, seven days a week around that ark. So it was no longer the presence of God was no longer pushed back in a corner and kept concealed. But under David's reign, it became revealed. That's what he's talking about in the book of Acts. We heard about this prophecy that was going to come. There would be a repairer of the breach. Someone that would come in and build the tabernacle of David again. So now people that were considered dogs, people that were considered less, people that were written off, that had been pushed aside and pushed out. Now the Spirit of God is pouring itself on all, all, all flesh and they're being changed. Somebody say it with me, world changers. I'm trying to teach world changers. I'm not interested in church. I'm interested in the power and the presence of God. Because I'm telling you, there are churches all across this nation and all around the world, and some of these churches have got me scratching my head because some of them have left Scripture completely and ordaining homosexuals and are doing every, oh, everybody, oh, he said it. It's about time somebody stood up and said it. It's about time we quit playing patty cake. Do you understand that the person that does not love is the one that does not tell the truth? If you love somebody, how many of you, if your child's, you know, you catch your five-year-old in your kitchen and he's got the burner on and he's going to get a marshmallow and he's got it in his fingers and he's getting ready to put that marshmallow over the flame. If your husband started to stop him, how many of you would go, leave him alone? He likes doing that. That brings him joy. It brings him pleasure. Leave him alone. No, you'd be climbing over your husband's head to get to that baby, to stop that baby from harming himself. Even if it meant that baby was going to kick up a fuss, it was going to begin to scream, it was going to start, you know, yelling and, and, and carrying on. Why? Because you love them too much to allow them to continue in something that's going to destroy them. Somebody shout amen today. Do you understand? That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so we could have life and have it more abundantly. 
Not so we can do our own thing. How many remember that, you know? I can't even remember the, what was that, in the 70s? If it feels good. Help me out here. If it feels good. How many of you did it? Did it and then got in trouble for it. Felt good. My brother came in one night. Mom said, Daryl, are you sick? He said, no. No, no. She said, she said Daryl, are you drunk? He said, no, no, I'm not drunk. Ugh. She said, Daryl, you're drunk. He said, no, I'm not drunk. I'm sick. I've been sick all week. He was drunk. He did it because it felt good until after he had to pay the price for it. Do you understand? You, somebody's got to pay the fiddler. There is no free lunch. And you need to hear what I'm going to tell you. Jesus paid the ultimate price so we can be free. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I'm free. He did it for us. He did it to rescue us. So I'm not going to act like it's no big deal. I'm not going to treat it like it's, oh, well, you know, that's just a religious thing. That's not religion. That's love, my friend. When he went to Calvary's cross, he could have stopped it. He told Peter, he said, I could call for more than 12 legions of angels to come and save me right now. But how would the scripture be fulfilled? He forgave them while he was dying for them. Now, look, I'm going to be real transparent with you. I could forgive you if you're treating me right. I might even be able to forgive you if you're treating me wrong. But you still want to make it right. I might even be able to forgive you if you walk up to me and spit on me. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I, I, I might be able to forgive. See, here's the whole thing. We want to act like we walk on water. I've been around long enough to tell you I don't walk on water. I know that's shocking some of you. I don't walk on water. I don't float on clouds. I every day have to get before God and say, God, I'm asking you to give me what I need this day. That's why he said, pray for your daily bread. Because as long as I'm in this flesh, I've got this flesh to contend with. And I got news for you. As long as you're in yours, you've got yours to contend with. But for a man... To be able to take spikes through his hands and his feet. Not while people are cheering for him, but are spitting on him. Are beating him. Are ridiculing him and cursing him. For him to be able to accept that pain in the midst of that kind of treatment can only come. From the throne of God. Amen. Aren't you glad that he made the trip for us today? Amen. Come on. Amen. Are you glad? You say, well, pastor, what about this house of David? Look, this is, everybody say revival. This, this is what he's talking about, revival. 
that he's going to raise up the tabernacle of David again so that people can experience the presence of God. How many of you in here want to experience the presence of God? Now look, I'm smart enough to know everybody doesn't want to. I know that. I know everybody doesn't want to experience the presence of God. I've been in places where folks were looking at the back door thinking, man, as soon as that dude yells amen, I'm out of here. I'm getting out of here. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he came from, but I feel something and it can't be right. Look, if you, if you don't feel God, then you don't know God. Amen. I'm telling you, he created the heavens and the earth. Why would you think you could sit in the middle of a service and go through it, worshiping the one that created everything and not be able to feel him or sense him there? You ought to feel him. Well, I don't know if I'll be able to feel him or not. You feel music. What are you talking about? You put on any music. We got a two-year-old baby. And, and what was that that they had put on? They put on some type of music and our two-year-olds start going. They put on worship music and she started. <laughs> and she's, man, she's singing with them. Well, what happened? That stuff's contagious. I saw her doing it. I thought, yeah, girl, go. <laughs> I'm not going to discourage her. I'm going to encourage her. Come up here a minute, Kevin, would you? Come up here. Now, if Kevin wants to encourage me to worship God, what should Kevin do? Worship God. So, but he's looking at me. And that's what happens, isn't it? We go to church a lot of times. Because we're not sure about what everybody else is going to think. Can I let you in on a secret? I don't care what everybody else thinks. (laughs) I mean, really, you don't care about it any other time they think something. I don't think you ought to be wearing that. I don't care. You understand what I'm talking about? Why is it that we let people interfere with our worship? I'm telling you it's because the devil knows how powerful worship is. So when we raise our hands, he starts going, you know you've got no reason to be raising your hands. Everybody knows what kind of person you are. What are you doing? Raising your hands, acting like you're all holy. You know when that guy cut you off in traffic, you waved at him. And so he gets, starts messing with our head. He's trying to get in our worship. You know what you need to do when he's doing that? Go ahead. No, not you. I mean, talk in my ear. Whisper some junk in my ear. I sure do, and Jesus knows about it, and I made it right. Praise God. <laughs> Ain't it wonderful? Ain't it wonderful? Just let him know that you already dealt with it, and Jesus has dealt with it for you. Thank you, Kevin. Give him a big hand, would you? <clears throat> Revival. Rep- did you see what, what Mrs. King did when she saw that house? Oh, that's so lovely. Thank you so much for doing that. Ah! Ah! 
And what was she saying? Thank you, Jesus. She was on ABC. Thank you, Jesus. She didn't care what ABC thought. She was thanking God because let me let you in for a clue. ABC may have paid for it, but Jesus sent him there. <laughs> and so she's making sure that she's giving credit to the one whom the credit is due. She was thrilled. Doesn't it bother you when you give a, a child a gift at Christmas time and they go, oh. They unwrap it. I always keep receipts because if they act like that, I'll just take it back and get my money back. <laughs> okay. But you know, if they don't show appreciation, I never forget, we got our uh, son, what was it, a Stretch Armstrong doll one year? How old was he? Eight? Something like that. Got him a Stretch Armstrong doll. How many of you remember Stretch Armstrong? Weren't they great? And so we got him one, and he went to his grandma's house, and he opened up his gift, and she would got him one too. And he goes, oh, you know. And Debbie said, what do you say? He said, I already got one. <laughs> Jonathan. Well, if he's already got one, you know, grandma doesn't care. If he's already got one, he's already got one. Don't, boy, don't you, you better get in there and thank your grandma while there's still body in your, her breath in your body. You, you know what I'm talking about? And so, but to see someone reflect thankfulness and gratitude, not because they were forced to, but because from the depth of their hearts, they want to. I mean, think about that. That girl didn't care. She was shouting, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Father. I thought she was getting ready to break out in the Holy Ghost there for a second. Man, she was, she was all over the place, and, but she had a reason to. And watch what she said. She said, this wasn't for me. This was for everybody. Amen. Because can I put this in, in terms? Because if people can look at my life and see what God's done for me, then they can know that God can do that for them too. Amen. Amen. God will do it for you. Everybody say, God will do it for you. Say, if he'll do it for Pastor Rick, he'll do it for me. Because Pastor Rick ain't nothing special. Go on, you say it all the time anyway. Come on. <laughs> Because, Pastor, you know what I'm talking about? It's, do you understand that God wants to do it for you? Somebody ought to just jump up and say, he wants to do something for me. <laughs> Praise God, there's one. There's, we got some hands going. I ain't seen no feet make the ground yet. God wants to do something for me. Now, watch this. Watch this. I'm getting ready to wrap up. Everybody say Revival. I want you to look at Amos chapter 9 and verse 13. And I want you to listen to these words. This, this follows after he talks about David's tabernacle being raised again. Listen to what he says. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Everybody say revival. This is what the prophet's saying. There's a day coming 
that the harvest is going to be so huge that by the time, by, when it's time to start planting seed again, they're going to meet the person harvesting in the field because the harvest is so big, they're not done taking the harvest in yet. Do you understand that it's not his will that any should perish, but all have everlasting life? And what God wants to do is send a worldwide harvest. Friend, I am not going to be standing around, looking around saying, well, you know, I hope something happens. It's time. He said, pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth laborers into the field. It's time for us to jump in the field and say, thank you. God for the harvest. I'm going after it right now. I'm going to begin to reap. I'm going to begin to let people know. How did it happen? Look in the book of Acts. I'm getting ready to wrap up. Look in the book of Acts. Paul goes into three places. He hits Thessalonica. When he gets into Thessalonica, he goes as his custom is to the synagogue and he's there for three weeks sharing scripture. Everybody say sharing scripture. And while he's sharing scripture, he's changing people's minds about God. He's repairing breaches in their heart. He is, he is mending brokenness in them. And the Bible said that they started to believe not just a multitude of men, but great uh, women that were married to great men or women of importance began to believe. Some of the Jews got upset and they started to attack him. They brought in people to start a riot. And so they sent, they go to Jason's house to try and get Paul. When they get to Jason's house, Paul's not there. So they drag out Jason and they start saying, what's going on? And this is what they said. They said, these are those that have turned the world upside down and they've come here. Do you understand? God wants to make us a world changer. He wants us to turn our world upside down, our neighborhoods, our families, our life, our jobs. God, and all it takes is sharing. He went to Thessalonica, he goes to Berea, and then he ends up in Athens. And every place he goes, revival hits. Every place he goes, people are being changed. Why? Because Paul's saying, I'm a repairer of the breach. Amen. God has called me to be a world changer. Don't you think it's time we answer that call too? Would you stand with me right now? <coughs> Time to change our world. We can do it through the word. St. John 8 and 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. John 1 and 17, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 8 and 36, therefore the son makes you free. You shall be free indeed. Everybody say free indeed. World changers. World, are you content? Let, I, I'm just going to ask some questions. You know, I, it's always easy to see what people get excited about by the way they talk about it. Uh, you know, if you start talking about engines and how engines work, Mike, where are you at? Mike Jennings, are you in here? There he is. You start talking to Mike about how engines work and 
how the combustion happens and all that, he's going to look at you like he don't care. As long as I can put gas in it and goes, that's all I'm worried about. But you start talking to him about fixing up a room and decorating that room, interior decoration, all that. And, or you start talking to him about we need these costumes for, uh, for the Christmas play or the Easter play. And all of a sudden, man, he's looking up on the internet. He's researching what they wore back then because that has just activated him. You talk to my wife about John Wayne and she's going to say, John who? No, she knows John Wayne, but she's not going to get excited about that. Every once in a while, I want to watch a John Wayne movie and she walks in and she says, are you watching John Wayne? Yeah, okay. I get that look, you know what I'm talking about? It's, uh, she ain't real wild about John Wayne, unless it's quiet, man. No, I'm going to have to educate you all on John Wayne. Quiet Man is a movie he did in Ireland. And he falls in love. It's the first time I ever saw John Wayne fall in love with anybody. He falls in love. And, you know, you, how many of you saw that? You know, and, and oh, she likes that movie of John Wayne. Because, you know, he's in love. But I like it when, you know, it's true grit. I like it when it's, you know, when he's pilgrim. You cause a lot of trouble around here today, and somebody ought to bust you in the mouth. I got more out of her of that than I did to my whole preaching. <laughs> I'm saying that different things activate different people. Here's what troubles me. It's that people can come up to us and talk to us about something that excites us, and we get all, whoo. But when it comes to God, my friend, if we don't get excited when it comes to talking about God, there's something wrong somewhere. So turn around and look at your neighbor and say, I'm getting ready to get excited. I'm, I mean, I'm getting ready to get excited right now. Turn around and look at him and say, give me some elbow room. If we begin to approach people with that kind of excitement and it's real it's not phony it's not worked up it's not fake but it's real coming from your hearts my friend you're getting ready to change somebody's world come on give me a hand clap of praise in this house today they're gonna they're gonna get ready to sing a song this is what i want you to do if you're in the building today and you want to be a world changer i want you to run up front real quick i'm not going to hold long just come up front real quick if you want to be a world changer that means you want to change somebody's world you want to be able to i, I came across i came across a letter uh, i was going through the the, the loft in my office last night trying to straighten out some books and I came across a letter that I'd forgot that I'd ever received and it was from a lady that had been in a revival and she said I don't know how to start this what do I say to you I had been in a meeting and I told her that the things that she's been going through right now I said in a time to come are going to seem like small stuff to you because God's going to change your way of seeing things. 
she starts telling about uh, uh, her life, man. She started pouring out her life. After I'd given her that word, she and her husband ended up in a divorce. They were, they were away from each other. She remarried. She married like three times. He remarried twice. And, and, and she said, man, she got involved with drugs. And, you know, her, her, her husband's had drugs and drinking and all this stuff. And she talked about this horrible. And when I first got that letter, I was thinking, man, what in the world is she writing to me about? And she said, and we went through all this and it was horrible. And she said, but I ended up divorced and he ended up divorced. And, and we were talking about what we'd been through. And all of a sudden, we started falling in love again. And, and she said, and now we're remarried. And, and she said, it dawned on me. God spoke to me and said, now you see what he was talking about. This was small stuff compared to where you'd been. God knows our beginning from our ending. And if we'll hold on to him, he'll bring us through every valley. He'll take us through every challenge and he will rescue us and turn it around for us. If we say, God, here I am. Say it with me, here I am. So here's the deal. The Bible said freely you've received, freely give. So I don't want you to take this wrong, but if you're not willing to share it, then you ought to not ask for it. If, if you're not willing to share what God gives you, what God does for you, I mean, if your life is a total mess and God comes in and straightens it out and then you won't tell anybody about it, you've got to be willing to share it. Everybody say a world changer. Paul said, I'm the least of all the apostles. He lived every day with the understanding that because of him, there were people that had been put to death. But he had to shake that off and he had to keep his eye on what was before him. He said, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching for those things that are in front of me. How many of you ready to let go of some stuff? Come on, just let it go. Say, God, I'm letting it go right now. I want your hands raised. Would you do it? God, I'm letting it go right now. I want to pray over you. Can I do that? Just stretch those hands. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come to you today to declare that the devil's a liar and he cannot hold us any longer. God, we break every stronghold that he's ever laid on our lives. God, we declare, God, your victory over him. We stand up today and say, here I am, God. We repair the breach. We receive you, God, into our lives. God, to restore us. And God, we ask you to make us a world changer. Give us a word, God, that when we share it, it changes someone's life. It changes someone's world. Help us to impact others for your cause. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wait, right, right, before, right before you guys sing, I want, I want everybody take hands with one another. Would you do it? You got hands? Go ahead and just make room. Everybody make sure you got a hand. Everybody make sure you got a hand. Even all, all across the audience, just grab, grab each other's hands if you would. Everybody got a hand? Now I want, you, I, I, I want you to do this with me. I want you to look, and you may have to do this twice, but I want you to look at the person whose hands you hold and say, I just need to let you know that God's done something wonderful in my life. And I can't wait to share it with others. Would you do it?
Come on, say it. Say it. Now, if he hasn't done it, if he hasn't done something great in your life, I want to invite you to come up here right now so he can do it. Because he wants to. He wants to do something great in your life. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to come up here. If he hasn't done something great in your life, if you're wanting him to do something great in your life and it hasn't happened yet, I want you to just stretch your hand to heaven right now. Just stretch your hand to heaven. God, I'm asking you to look all across this building. God, you see every hand that's raised, every life that it represents. God, what they're going through, what their challenges are, and God, the breakthrough they need. Now, I come to you today confident that you're more than enough to make that breakthrough for them. God, and I thank you for it right now. I rejoice before you that you are repairing the breach, God, that you're bringing, Father, a flood of revival into a dry place, that you're healing bodies, that you're changing lives, that you're transforming, God, them from light or from darkness to light. I give you praise for it right now in Jesus' name. Come on and give them a shout. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sing it. See you. 
purpose in your heart and in your mind that you are a world changer. Come on, somebody shout yes. So if, if you've got to, if you've got a compact in your purse, if you're a guy, borrow your wife's or run to the bathroom. Look in a mirror and say, you, my friend, are a world changer. You need to walk it out. You need to declare it every day. And then every opportunity you get, as a matter of fact, a few opportunities you just need to take to share Jesus with someone. Don't wait for somebody to tell you, could you talk to me about God? Just start talking to them. If they don't want to hear it, they'll tell you. And then tell them anyway. <laughs> so I can't help myself. I just, just share it with them anyway. I'm telling you that people are hungry. And right now, God is setting us up to raise David's tabernacle. Let's give him a hand clap of praise in this house. May God cause his face to smile on you and keep you. May you sense him near every day. When you open the word, may you find him there. May that word hide in your heart and become like a spring flowing out of you. I pray, God, your blessing over them today, that you keep them as the apple of your eye, and that you send revival in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. Greet each other. Spring
facing defeat, oh Lord. You are more than enough. When your word says hold on, but the world says retreat, oh Lord. You are more than I got news for you tonight. Sing, oh Lord. You are more than enough. You're a wellspring of mercy and a fountain of love. It's more. 